So here's the question we all ask ourselves. Sooner or later, when I say we all ask ourselves, I mean those of us who are actually attempting to do something with this work. I don't mean the intellectual masturbators who just intellectually move it around in their heads. They never really do anything with it. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know what that's about because you were like that too. What makes this work so difficult that so few people can stick with it beyond the intellectual entertainment that they receive from it or the superiority orgasm that they get from it, which is, I know something you don't know, and now I'm better than you, that one. Another way to ask it is, why is it so hard to get help from higher centers? Dr. Nichols says, it's because in ordinary life, we live in moving parts of lower centers. Just as a refresher, we'll talk a little bit about the centers and how they're divided up. You know you have more centers than you can count. Did you know that? You have more centers than you can count. We talk mostly about three centers. We talk about the intellectual center, the emotional center, and the moving instinctive center. We group the moving instinctive center together. We don't talk about the higher emotional and higher intellectual very often, and we don't talk about the sex center very often. And we also don't talk about the division of the centers, that the intellectual center has an intellectual center in the intellectual center. It has an emotional center and it has a moving center. We don't talk about those because we have talked about those, and you're supposed to know all that. But what I've realized is that the way people behave is showing me that they don't really remember all that. So sometimes it's good to have a refresher. So this is kind of a refresher. We'll just tap on it a little bit. But what does this mean when he says it's because in ordinary life we live in moving parts of lower centers? It's like defining a word with another word that we don't understand. Isn't that annoying when a dictionary does that? You go to find a word. What is the meaning of a word? It gives you another word that you also don't understand. The way we live our lives is mechanical. That's what it means. It's pure and simple. The way we live our lives is mechanical. The problem with us is we don't get that. We don't actually understand that. We don't see it on a regular basis. And the reason we don't see it is because we spend most of our time asleep, imagining that we are indeed awake. Because we think that if our moving center, that is that part of us that moves our feet and keeps us going around the house or to work or to drive a car or whatever, if the moving center is active, we think that means we're awake. But this work says no. All that means is that the moving center is active. It doesn't mean that you're awake at all, or at least not much. We simply talk and chat and busy ourselves with mindless activities requiring little or no directed attention. Now, I'd just like to point out that there's a difference between directed attention and captured attention. Captured attention is what the world does to us. It captures our attention. Directed attention is what you would do if you could do. If you could direct your attention, then you would. But the fact is, is that we can't. As a rule, sometimes we can, but not for very long because it takes a special kind of fuel that we don't have because we used up all that fuel having and enjoying negative emotions. This is kind of a recap of the work, and I think it's a good thing to do from time to time because I don't think you're going to go back and listen to the older podcasts. The self-complacent who are already satisfied with their lives will not try to alter this state that we're in. That is the state where in ordinary life we live in moving parts of lower centers. People who are happy with their lives, they're satisfied with the way they are, they're not going to try and change this. Why should they? They won't even believe it or attempt to verify it because they're satisfied in their imagination that they're awake 
Everything's fine. The only thing that needs to change in the world is those other people. If we could just get those other people to be like me, then everything would be fine. It's possible, through contact with this work over time, to become dissatisfied with our mechanical behavior, even without consciously working on ourselves. This work is like a worm, and once it gets inside of you, it starts to eat. And sooner or later, you start to feel it, and you become dissatisfied with your behavior, because you see that your behavior is mechanical. You start to become aware. The ideas themselves have power. They're like little power balls. <laughs> you ever see these commercials when it's cold and flu season or whatever, and they have these time-release capsules? The work is like time-release capsules. It has an effect on us. It acts on us. It influences us. We don't even know that it's influencing us, and we don't necessarily have to go along with it, agree with it. The ideas influence us, whether we like it or not. If you cooperate with them, it's better. If you don't cooperate with them, they will take you to this point of dissatisfaction. Then you're either going to have to get away from the ideas so that you can get self-satisfied again, or you're going to have to continue with the ideas so that you get even more dissatisfied with yourself and take the journey through hell to heaven. It's like Winston Churchill said, if you're in hell, don't stop. That's no time to stop. Keep going. <laughs> it is. It's, it was an excellent point. Mechanical behaviors are a result of reacting to external life, to circumstances, to situations, to people, all that jazz, through the moving parts of our centers. The moving parts of our centers are the smallest parts of our centers. And think about the moving part of your centers. It's what opens doors. It's what closes doors. It's what walks. It's stuff that you have learned. It's not instinctive. It's not like your heart beating. It's not like blinking. It's not like your respiration. It's not like digestion. It's not something that just comes with the machine. It's something that you acquired, you learned as you went through life. You trained these moving parts. The moving parts of centers are the parts that meet life. Most mechanical part of the intellectual center makes you regularly repeat what you've heard. The work calls it parroting especially scandal. Now, scandal, for those of you who are not up on what scandal actually is, it's an action or an event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. Yummy. We love scandal. We love it. There's nothing more heady, well, maybe one thing. Apart from anger, righteous indignation, there's only one thing that is so tasty to us, and that is outrage general public outrage. When the world agrees with us that this is a horrible, outrageous thing, how dare they? It's morally wrong. It's legally wrong. And we get higher and higher and higher on our ponies that way until we're riding those big farm horses with the fuzzy feet. What are they called? Clydesdales, yeah, which is like the biggest horse that I know about. And that's the one that we love to ride the most. The emotional part of the intellectual center consists mainly of curiosity. But it's not the kind of curiosity that is really handy. It's what Ospensky called monkey curiosity. We want to find out who's sleeping with Angelina Jolie. We want to find out if Brad Pitt and Angelina are still together. We want to find out about the neighbor, so we're looking out the window and spying on them. We want to find out this. It's the automatic Sherlock Holmes in us that has to satisfy this tickling, this curiosity. Satisfaction of curiosity is extremely pleasing, let's face it, which compounds 
the mechanical effect of monkey curiosity and reinforces the mechanical habit. So every time you get your mechanical monkey curiosity satisfied, it just makes you worse because then you want more. It's like a drug. And that's the thing with all of these mechanical parts. They're like drugs. They're addictive because they're mechanical. They repeat over and over and over again. And you know how annoying it is when other people repeat what they've heard. You know how annoying it is because I've heard you make fun of other people who repeat what they've heard. I've never heard you make fun of yourself repeating what you've heard, but I have heard you make fun of other people in the group repeating what they hear. So you might want to look at that and think about that. Or not. The intellectual part of the moving part of the intellectual center. Now, the centers are broken down into those three parts. The intellectual, the emotional, and the moving part. And then, the intellectual part of the intellectual center is broken down into three parts. The intellectual, the emotional, and the moving. And then, of course, you can break all those down. So that's why we don't know how many centers we have. And that's why I say, so, who cares? I've got my hands full right now, not expressing negative emotions about the work, not being annoyed that Gurdjieff split it up into that many things. So I just have to look at all that and say, okay, so what? I can't know everything, not with this mind. That's why I'm attempting to move into another mind, a mind that is waiting for me, real mind, real I. But we'll talk about that later, perhaps. So the intellectual part of the moving part of the intellectual center it makes small plans, like, uh, let's see, what should I do? Should I go to the post office or the grocery first? Well, if I go to the post office first, then if I get milk at the grocery, then it won't have to sit in the car too long while I'm at the post office. So I'm going to go to the post office first, and then I'll go to the grocery store. But if on my way to the grocery see, so the small plans, the little mechanical things in life, while the emotional part of the intellectual center gives the desire to know or understand, so it's not really interested in who Angelina is sleeping with because that's for small eyes. It's something from small eyes, and it's really not interesting to the emotional part of the intellectual center. The emotional part of the emotional center might find it interesting, but the moving part of the emotional center will love it. These are examples of small parts of our ordinary centers, the mechanical parts with which we react to the stream of events that we call life. Let's not forget that life is not what we think it is. Life is pure and simply a stream of events. It's data, streaming data, like the matrix. It's just all of these numbers constantly falling. And it's the machine language that makes sense of it. It's like in computers, you can't understand your computer without an operating system, a disk operating system. Because behind the disk operating system is all of this language that they use to write the disk operating system. But behind all that is machine language. And it's just zeros and ones. And we don't understand that. But the small mechanical parts, they do understand it. They operate that way. That's just the way they operate. And it's at a very low level, and there's a place for it, but not the place that we have allowed. So we have mechanical emotions, dislikes, love, hate, things like that. As long as we don't see this, become dissatisfied with ourselves in this regard, we can't do this work. 
As long as you are justifying your dislikes and your likes, as long as you're justifying your negative emotions, as long as you're justifying, I say you don't know what love is, you say you love your children, you say you love your wife, you love your mother, you love, 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 love. And I say, and the work says, I don't say it because I don't really care whether you love or don't love or whether you think you love or you don't love. It has nothing whatever to do with me. But the work says you don't know what love is. That there is something that is love, that's real love, but that what we have is changeable. That what we call love can change in a moment into hate. We all know this is true because we've all seen this. Or dislike. Whatever you choose to call it, some people don't like to admit that they hate because it goes against their pictures of themselves. So they call it dislike. Or they call it, I'm done with that person. I don't wish them any harm, but I'm done with them. I never need to see them again. Or I've moved on in my life. They have all kinds of ways of lying about it. Because that's what we do. We justify ourselves so that our pictures of ourselves stay intact. If you can't stop justifying these things, if you can't take a hard, cold look at yourself in the light of what this work teaches, you're not going to become dissatisfied with yourself in this regard, regarding your mechanical behaviors, and you can't do this work. And that's just that. And I don't care how smart you are, and I don't care how well-connected you are, and I don't care how much money you have, and I don't care how long you've been in the work, and I don't care if you studied with Gurdjieff himself. I don't care. It doesn't matter at all. It will not change the fact. Everyone is saddled with these mechanical parts. Everybody's got them. We're like parrots with no thoughts behind our constant chattering. This is the truth about us. Very often, we try to break away from it when we're in this group. The rest of the time, we're just unconscious. We're just chattering away, just talking laughing, acting, you know, watching a video. I was watching the person, I said, you know, I need to talk to them about that tick they have and see what that's about. It's unconscious. People are unconscious of it until you bring it to their attention. And then they'll say, oh, well, yeah. Then they'll say, well, I, I am aware of that sometimes. They're not aware that it happens when they're under stress because I get to see a lot of people under stress because people get stressed around me. And there are two reasons for that. One reason is how they take in impressions. And the other reason is that I use that. Because if you're under stress, you become a little more vulnerable. And if you become a little more vulnerable, then you can be talked to. You can be shocked. You can be shown things. And that can be really helpful, as you know. It's not necessarily comfortable, but it is helpful. And we put up with this conscious suffering because we do actually wish to transform. We wish to develop. So if we rise a little in our level of speaking, we'll try to make a connection between higher centers and our ordinary centers. To do this, we'll need an intermediary who understands both the higher and the lower centers. You see, the problem is, is like the intermediary with your computer is the operating system, the disk operating system so that you can talk to your computer and then your computer can talk to the machine language and make the machine do what you want it to do. So you need this intermediary. This is nothing new. It's everywhere in life. You haven't understood quite yet what we're getting at, but when I say it, you'll say, oh yeah, of course. Because I'm putting it in different terms. And I'm putting it in different terms than I normally put it in because I want you to think from a different perspective, from a different angle. I want to move you around, as it were, to kind of guide you around to look at the same thing from the south, and then from the north, and then from the east, and then from the west, and then from above, and then from below, and then from north-northwest, and south-southwest, and like that. 
That's the purpose of changing this up, so that you get to get a full picture or a fuller picture of these teachings. The problem is that these higher centers and lower centers speak different languages because lower centers are sense-based. Lower centers connect to life. They're like the spider web that connects to life. Higher centers, obviously, are not connected to life. They come from outside of life. They're actually outside of life, and any influence that we receive from higher centers is coming from outside of life, from outside of our system, which is what makes the ideas powerful and valuable. Esoteric teachings are constantly telling us throughout the ages to think spiritually, psychologically. The term spiritually and psychologically are used interchangeably by Dr. Nichol. And they're used interchangeably by Dr. Nichol because he got it. Not just through mind based on the senses. So we're supposed to be thinking spiritually, psychologically, not just through the mind that's based on the senses. Unfortunately, we're trapped in this mind based on the senses. We're imprisoned in it. And it's very difficult to think any other way because this is the mind that we have. This is our mind. Or you would say, this is my mind. You would say, I think. This is why we study parables in the evening talks that we do. This is why we've gone through the new man. This is why we're going through the mark. This is why we're going to be going through living time. Because it's mental training. And it's the mental training that is necessary in this work to get it out of being strictly intellectual. The problem is, is this work becomes intellectual very quickly. It starts off intellectually. That's how it starts. But it stays that way. The only excitement we get from it is the excitement of self-love and feeling that we're better than other people, smarter than other people. We've got something over other people. If you ever get out of it, it takes a long time to get out of that to get to the place where this really becomes meaningful to you. And what has to happen for it to really become meaningful to you is you've got to become sorely dissatisfied with your behavior and yourself. You've got to become dissatisfied. And that's something that we resist. We just normally resist it. It's called survival. We think if we become dissatisfied, we'll cease to exist, we'll die, we'll die of depression, or we'll kill ourselves, or whatever people think. I don't know what they think. And I don't want to know what they think, so don't tell me. It's bad enough that I think some of these things. <laughs> I don't want to know what you think. Let's have an example then. Through self-observation, you find you're in an unpleasant place in yourself. You know what it's like to be in an unpleasant place in yourself? Okay, good. You find that out through self-observation. Yet you're at a dinner party with great food and great drink. They got great wine. They got great after-dinner drinks. Great appetizers. It's just great. And not only that, but somebody else is paying for it all. And they really did it right. It just goes on and on and on. And it's everything, you know, everybody and everything. And it's wonderful. But you're in this unpleasant place in yourself. This contradiction will make someone who is awakening very uncomfortable. Now, what do we do when we're uncomfortable? What do you do if you're sitting there and you're uncomfortable? Okay, let me tell you because you don't seem to be getting it. You move. You move to a more comfortable position. Why is it you do that? Well, because you don't like being uncomfortable and it's mechanical to move to a more comfortable position. When you're sleeping in your bed or wherever you're sleeping, the kind of sleep when you're horizontal. That's the one I'm talking about. Not vertical sleep, but horizontal sleep. I just coined a new phrase. Vertical sleep, horizontal sleep. Vertical sleep is what we're doing in life. Horizontal sleep is what we're doing at night. 
if you sleep at night. You move. Your body mechanically moves because you're getting stiff or your circulation's going or whatever, and your body just mechanically moves. Well, we do that all the time, not just in horizontal sleep, but we do it in vertical sleep as well. Nichols said, it's much better not to notice your bad inner state, or you could get indigestion. All kinds of horrible things can happen to you at this dinner party if you notice your bad inner state. But if you don't notice your bad inner state, well, guess what? It's better to remain asleep and delight yourself with the food and the drink and the company and the music and all the rest of that. Why bother being uncomfortable? And this is our enemy. This is how we operate in moving parts of centers. This is our problem. We have this problem only if we wish to develop, only if this work is taken seriously. The external world and internal world are at odds. When we think of this admonition, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. We take it externally. We don't take it internally. We take it externally because we take all esoteric teachings externally first. Maybe if we're really fortunate, if we can direct our attention, if you've got somebody who hammers you pretty often on it, then you have the possibility of beginning to take it internally. But because we take it externally, what we end up saying is great food and drink, go for it. Don't make a problem of it. Forget the bad state, just be in the moment and be mechanical. And we don't really call it being mechanical, we call it being in the moment and enjoying ourselves. But it's the exact same thing because what you're doing is you're ignoring your bad inner state. Oh, I'll deal with it later. No, you won't. There is no later. You'll deal with it now or you won't deal with it at all. And when it comes up again, if it comes up again, and it will come up again, chances are you'll easily not deal with it again because you're developing the habit of pushing it away. That's not how self-observation works. That's not how you sharpen it, hone it. This work is much deeper because it shows us man has two sides, the inner and the outer. The outer belongs to the external sense-based mind concerned with food and drink and the atmosphere and the music and all that jazz. The inner belongs to our sorely neglected spiritual mind. They're opposed without an intermediary. What then is the intermediary between them? Now here's the part we get to where now when I tell you, you go, oh, and you'll feel like an idiot. But it's okay because we really are idiots. So it's not a bad thing to feel like an idiot. In fact, it's probably a good thing to feel like an idiot. The only people who don't like feeling like idiots are the kinds of idiots that are not going to ever be anything else. So it's okay to feel like an idiot. In fact, it's something that you should desire. Because if you can get what an idiot you are, you can become dissatisfied with yourself. And if you can become dissatisfied with yourself, then you have a chance of changing some of these mechanical behaviors, getting away from them more than changing them. Okay, so here is the intermediary between them. Third force, neutralizing force. It's the force that can participate in the external and internal mind. 
you have the two opposites. You have this opposition. They're in opposition. So clearly, in every situation of opposition, you've got to have a third force, a neutralizing force, or else nothing happens. What is it called in the vernacular? It's called a Mexican standoff. Jeez, I hope there aren't people listening to this in Mexico who get upset over this, because you remember it's all about the outrage. How we love the outrage, the causing general public outrage. Do you know what he said? He said a Mexican standoff. Well, that's racist. Yeah, right. We're just outraged about everything these days. We're so thin-skinned that everything annoys us, and it's a parade. People start to get outraged, and it's a parade—a parade that people don't want to watch. They want to participate in. They want to get in the parade. So the next thing you know, there's a parade with millions of people in it. They call that a political party or a war, and that's all it is. It's just manufactured public outrage, general public outrage, because that's morally or legally wrong. They took our jobs, you know, or whatever. You get my drift, I'm sure. Sadly, the fourth way instructs you to separate the two. That's the problem now. The fourth way instructs you to separate the two. Well, this doesn't work. Some think everything to do with life is bad, while others think everything to do with religion and spiritual life is good. Both are wrong because they're two sides of the pendulum. They're both wrong. So separating the two is idiotic because you end up with this extreme and that extreme. You can do that automatically. You do that all the time. So when the fourth way instructs you to do that, either the fourth way is wrong or we're missing it. I don't know which you'll decide, nor do I care, because I don't have a problem saying the fourth way is wrong. I don't have a problem saying we're missing it. I don't have anything to be right about. All I want to do is develop. I don't need to be right to develop. In order to develop, I need to be wrong. This is another thing that people forget. This whole idea of dissatisfaction with yourself is the ability to be wrong, the ability to simply be wrong. You are wrong. Let me just say, whoever you are, if you can hear my voice, you are wrong. Now accept that. Get comfortable with that. Let it be, and you will start to move toward a higher state. If you can't accept it, you can't get comfortable. You find yourself objecting and opposing it and justifying yourself. Then this work isn't for you. Not now. Maybe later, but not now. If we can see the good in what belongs to both the internal and the external life. We move closer to the intermediary. The natural sense-minded man can't see the truth of esoteric teaching. That's just the way that is. We've been hammering this for months now in the evening talks. That it is impossible for the sense-based mind to get these parables. They can't get them. They can only take them literally. They never get beyond that. And so, in order to understand the parables, you've got to somehow shake the sense-based mind loose so that you can get beyond it. And the reason that the sense-minded man can't see the truth of esoteric teaching is because he lacks an intermediary. There's no operating system. There's no way that the two can communicate because they speak different languages. We've all experienced the inevitable failure of trying to explain this work. To someone living in the moving parts of centers, it simply cannot be done. You try it, you fail, and that's that. Sometimes it's a frustrating failure. Sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes it's humorous, but always it's a fail because the sense-minded man can't see the truth of esoteric teaching. <clears throat> to progress toward transformation, we must bring our two sides together in some kind of harmony. To do this, we need an intermediary between the higher and the lower centers. 
You've got to get out of chattering, moving parts of centers, trying to concentrate by a directed attention. Learn something new, something you didn't know before. Why do you think I'm constantly throwing things at you? Why do you think I'm constantly bringing up these things, giving you books to read, having you listen to this or listen to that? Why do you think I'm doing that? Because you have got to try to learn something new that you didn't know before. You've got to try and keep your consciousness expanding. And expanding consciousness is worthless if all you're doing is expanding your consciousness of being more mechanical, expanding your consciousness of being more worldly. No, you need to expand your consciousness about something. You need to become conscious of something. And that something needs to be from higher centers. It needs to be these esoteric ideas that can lift you up, that can influence you in a way that will drag you out of this mud pit that you find yourself in, that if you're doing the work, you're dissatisfied with. If you're not dissatisfied, you're not doing the work. If you're not doing the work, what are you doing here? There are some people who are listening to my voice because they want to get ready to do the work. Okay, that's valid. Fine, then do that. Just don't bother me until you're ready to do the work. And I say that because a lot of people have bothered me that weren't ready to do the work. And how I found that out is I went and tried to work with them and they weren't ready to do the work. So it was nothing but a bother to me and a bother to them. It's like Heinlein said, don't try and teach a pig to sing. It just annoys the pig and whatever he said. This effort is to put you in touch with higher parts of ordinary centers. That's what this concentrated attention is about. That's what all this is for, to put you in touch with higher parts of ordinary centers. Because right now you're in touch with mechanical parts, lower parts, smaller parts of ordinary centers. But when you're in touch with higher parts of ordinary centers, then you might be able to hear whispers of higher centers. You may be able to understand that you have two sides one turn towards life and one turn towards higher centers. The former you need and the latter you do not need unless you wish to awaken in your inmost life. Now, I realize that was a little difficult because when you say former and latter, then you have to go back to, well, what did he say first? The ordinary parts of centers, you need those. The ordinary parts of centers, the moving parts of ordinary centers, you need those. You can't operate in life without those. You've got to have them. So to think that somehow you're going to get out of those centers and into higher centers, you're not going to be able to function in life. So you've still got to be able to function in life because you have to be in the world, just not of it. And when you're in the world, that means you're functioning in the world. You have to be the good householder. You have to be functioning in the world or else this is pointless. But you don't need the higher centers unless you wish to awaken in your inmost spirit. Then you need the higher centers. But you don't need the higher centers unless you're dissatisfied with yourself because that's when you want to awaken in your inmost spirit. You may not call it that, but the dissatisfaction wants something better. It knows that life doesn't do it and is never going to do it, not for long. Unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. That's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. What a strange thing to say. Unless you become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would he say something like that? What does it mean? This is the way I want your mind to be working with these things. I want you to be asking these questions every time you hear something, even and especially when you think you know what it means. When you think you know what it means, oh yeah, well, I know what it means, unless you're converted and become like little children, uh, you'll never enter the kingdom, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I, I know what that means. That's when I want you to say, what a strange thing to say. Why would he say something like that? What does it mean? 
The ancients called this intermediary that we need the eternal boy. There's a reason for that. He's far from heavy intellectual thought and reasoning, which can be very childish and argumentative. You approach this child when you give up trying to grasp esoteric teaching that way. What way? The diagrams, uh, the, the <laughs> memorizing this, and the Enneagram, and the diagrams, and blah, 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 all that. Which is why the movements were so important. Although, people still found a way to make that mechanical, too. Because you can make anything mechanical. We're experts at that. We could make a watch out of a salzier. And a watch is the most mechanical thing I could think of for the moment. He's quite innocent in his way. He doesn't use reason. He uses perception where there is no need for argument. What is perception where there is no need for argument? Well, it's like, look, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. That is perception that doesn't really need any argument. Does that mean that people can't argue about it? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you don't need to argue about it. It means that you don't need to convince anyone about it because it's just so obvious. Really, this eternal boy, this intermediary, just says this is simply wrong with buried conscience. And buried conscience sees a thing as good or bad without any reason. It doesn't need a reason. Acquired conscience, you'll notice, needs a reason for every bad and every wrong. Acquired conscience is what scandal operates with. An action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. That all comes from acquired conscience. That all comes from the sense-based mind. What we're looking for is this intermediary that can understand that out there, but can also understand the higher centers through perception. Another word I would use for this would be intuition. You just know, and you don't have to argue about it, and you don't have to explain it. So this eternal boy, this intermediary, simply looks at something and says, well, this is wrong. That's all there is to it. And accesses that through buried conscience. Buried conscience doesn't need a reason because it is what's so. Acquired conscience always needs a reason because it is not what's so. It is manufactured, acquired, manufactured by and acquired by the sense-based mind. You are the best and best.